It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Vavil UK's very own Newcastle United podcast, Tyne Warp. I'm your host, Harry Roy, and I'm joined, as usual, by Dan Wright. No Alex this week, but we've got a special guest joining us. We're delighted to have Charlie Bennett making his Tyne Warp debut. Fantastic to have you on, mate. And Charlie, as the guest, I'm going to come to you first. And there's nowhere else really to start other than the big news of the day is that Steve Bruce has finally been sacked as Newcastle head coach. Just give me your initial thoughts of when you heard the news that this 27-month tenure has come to an end. Well, first and foremost, nice thank you for having us on, boys. It's a, it's <laughs> a privilege. But um, it, 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 Steve, the Steve Bruce situation, I've, everyone uh, on Tyneside's been aware, you know, he's been a dead man walking now for, well, as soon as the new owners came in. He should have really got the bullet, bullet last week. Uh, all reports are sort of indicating that he was going to get pedal before Tottenham. And then I think the result on the weekend, well, not so much the result, but the performance on the weekend was the final nail in the coffin. If you're asking us where I was when I found out Steve Bruce had been sacked, I was actually sitting on the toilet. So, <laughs> so the last the last person I wanted to be thinking about while I was sitting on the toilet was Steve Bruce, but um, hey-ho. <laughs> well, Dan, I assume you weren't sitting on the toilet? Uh, no, unfortunately I was at work, but it was it certainly picked my day up a little bit. And once we'd learnt the news that he was sacked, it didn't take long for the national media to come out and immediately condemn Newcastle fans for the abuse that they've given Steve Bruce over the last t- t- you know, two and a bit years since he's been in charge of the club. We've seen his 
article, sorry, his interview in the Telegraph they done with Luke Edwards, talking about some of the abuse he got, and absolutely on a human level, I know some of the stick he's he's had and received is is absolutely unacceptable. But I must say and I must stress that it is a two-way street, and Bruce wasn't a saint himself. He often criticised the supporters, belittled fans, belittled journalists. So where do you guys sit with this all? Because I just feel that if there's any excuse to have a pop at Newcastle fans, people are taking it at the minute. Um, well, I had I did read Craig Hope's article today and I did read Luke Edwards' article today, which were sort of two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And I think the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, without wanting to sit on the fence, you know, we all know Steve Bruce isn't, uh, he's not good enough to be a Newcastle manager. But I thought his interview with Luke Edwards, I mean, it, to anyone, it's going to hit a bit of a nerve. I think when he was speaking about his, his family, you know, how it was getting them down, I think it was it was a bit touching. But, and, well, another thing that sort of hit, hit the Luke Edwards piece was he was mentioning a couple of times that, oh, you know, even when we went on a good run, the performances were poor, the style of play was bad, or all oh, well, were lucky. And there is some truth to that. Like I do think that I, 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 I do think that he was sort of not popular from the day he walked in. There was some people that weren't really willing to give him a chance. But by the same token, he wasn't good enough for Newcastle. So, like I said before, it's, I do think um, the truth lies somewhere in between. I'm glad to see him sacked, but I, I do sympathise with him on, on a human level. No, you're spot on. Like it's, No one wants to see anyone get abuse or whatever he's accused. But I think sometimes there's a grey line between abuse and very valid criticism. Yeah. And I think at times the criticism he's got has been absolutely fair because some of the football's been horrific. And some of the things that he said about the supporters, keyboard warriors, all this, when there was val- valid concerns that we were going to go down last season, was bang out of order from Steve Bruce. And I think he made it to a point where he was never, ever going to win over the fans. And that's why when we went on a run back end of last season, it was like, oh, well, the football's still rubbish, which it was. We were winning games, there was less complaints, but he made it so that he couldn't win the fans over. And it was that was his doing. Do, do you not think, Dan, do you not, do you not think, Dan, um, sort of, yes, there, there was, like, he is... It, he was a bit of an idiot for calling the fans keyboard warriors. Likewise, when he called the when he sent the reporters, oh... You know, I, I, um, I hope he's get a slap. Just comments like that didn't help him. But but then the keyboards were coming. I do think there was an element of truth for that. Like, I put a post out last week like asking to rate Steve Bruce's time out of 10. And I give him a, I, give, I think I give him a five. I said he's done the bare minimum. He kept us in the Premier League. But other than that, the football's been dire. He hasn't improved as a club. But like, all the replies would just like, I've never seen a Newcastle manager get so much yeah. hate. Do you know what I mean? Like they hate him, and I don't know whether that's some of them are sort of I don't know cable warriors, but like a sort of similar expression. I'm just like, what, what do you sort of think? No, it's a it's a fair point you make. I mean, I would certainly agree about the he's around a four or five out of ten. You know, he didn't get were relegated, but I think comments like the keyboard warrior on another one that springs to my mind is when he mentioned. Oh, the expectations were up, up here and that's why they're like this and stuff, talking about the fans and like that. Mm-hmm. I just think, for me, that's why he gets those type of comments. It's not... I think people sort of look at the football being rubbish and think 
and he's saying stuff like this, and he basically does not have any respect for us, so why should we have respect for him? And I think he's got to earn that respect, and he never once did that as Newcastle United manager, in my opinion. I mean, he came in from day one, didn't he? And it was very much us versus him. That's how I always got... I mean, even after games, if we'd win or that sort of thing, or even if we'd lose, he wouldn't come and applaud the fans in the away end after the game. He's straight down Mm -hmm. the tunnel. He always has. And With Steve Bruce, that a lot of people don't understand is we didn't want him to fail as manager of Newcastle. We all feared that he would fail. He was the 11th choice manager, I think, for the job when he came in. We all knew he wasn't up to scratch. I mean, he was in a mid-table championship club with Sheffield Wednesday, who he left three weeks before the season started. All his comments in that over the years, they build up. And like Craig Hope's article today, which you touched on before, Charlie, he's, he's gone through and added up 27 months of stuff that, that's happened. And you look at that piece and you go, wow. The, the bit uh, the the bit that made me laugh in the uh, in the Craig Cole piece was it, Man City Boxing Day last year. He said he called a team meeting during the week. He said he called a team meeting during the week, and uh, it was all about right. We're going to lump it long to Andy Carroll. We're going to play long ball at Andy Carroll. We're going to make it a physical game. Blah blah blah. And then on the Monday, on the morning of the game, when he's announced the team, Andy Carroll's on the bench. <laughs> so it is like it is sort of gaffes like that that make you think, yeah, you know, he, he was never good enough to be, uh, he, he was never good enough to be Newcastle. It's almost a praise and boost by because when he got appointed, I thought he would, I thought that's it, we're relegated. Yeah, we've lost Rondon, we've lost Perez, well, we've lost Rondon, we've lost Perez. Uh, we've got we've got rid of Rafa, we've got Steve Bruce, and that's just relegated. We're not at now, but like so, the biggest praise I could give him is that he didn't send her down. I know it looks like we're going down that tra- tra- trajectory this season, but he still did keep her afloat for two years, and that's the bare minimum in my view. Yeah, I mean, you look at it. His, his objective under Ashley was to keep the, the club in the league, and he done that for two years. And the first season was a pretty boring season. Nothing really happened. They stayed up. They didn't play great. I mean, they were very fortunate. How many games yeah, that they season were did we win and go? How on mm, earth have yeah. we won that match? Second season, yeah. I think the only reason the club weren't relegated, yes, because there was three teams worse than them, and that was because of the COVID year, and it was essentially two seasons pulled into one. Championship clubs that were promoted didn't really have much time to bolster squads ahead of the new campaign. They got very fortunate last season, finished 12th. How on earth they finished 12th, I'll never know. They should have finished 17th, even. Probably should have finished in the relegation spots. And this season, he's played five or six of the of arguably the bottom ten this season, and not won a single game. And we're in a we're in a pretty dire situation heading into a run where even Crystal Palace are, are probably going to be around the twelfth to ninth spot this mm. season. Have come on leaps and bounds, played very well against Arsenal, should have won the game, and then we're essentially playing all the top six leading up to Christmas time. So there's a real fear around supporters that we could be cut adrift by the time we get to January. And I see it myself as. If Newcastle can just get to January and they're in the mix, you know, even if they're in the bottom three by one or two points, get into January, we can spend some money and get out of this. But the, what Bruce has kind of set up for at the minute is is, is to go down. And, uh, you know, a lot of rival fans want Newcastle to get relegated. I, I understand that. I mean, probably the most hated club in the world at the minute. But it's, it's his wrongdoing. And I think if he was here for the full season, Newcastle absolutely would have got relegated, regardless of this takeover happening and regardless of... 50 to 100 million pound being spent but uh, the wide consensus like we've said is that people seem to think he's done a good job he keeps being compared to Rafa Benitez which I'll just remind people who aren't fans of Newcastle that are probably amusingly listening to this podcast that Rafa Benitez had Hosselu as a striker Bruce has got Callum Wilson spent 160 million pound on players he's been backed more than any other manager in Newcastle United history do you agree with that view that he's done a good job? 
No, not I think I think uh, Charlie touched on it before. He's done the bare minimum. Like you're talking four or five out of ten. He's he's kept the club in the division. They've been going absolutely nowhere, stagnant. Finished on pretty much the same points year after year, despite improving on the squad. It's been it's been dull. There's been nothing happening. A relegation would have been more interesting. Obviously, less what we want to happen. But there's been nothing to watch for anyone. It's just been turgid and horrible and dull. Uh, well, Harry, um, like Dan's mentioned, you know, it's just it's almost been a symptom of the Mike Ashley era. I mean, yeah. mm. this they it's literally like name manager A of the mate other than Chris Hutton and Rafa Benitez. They've all sort of in a brief spell under Pardew, they've all sort of been like this. I am glad to see the back of him. I, I think he's probably glad to see the back of us as well. I mean, I, I think he's eight million. I think I think he's eight million pound payoff is going to ease the pain somewhat. But um, after Jamie Redknapp touched on it on Sky on the um, Super Sunday the other day, he said that you know when his dad, obviously Harry Redknapp, was a manager. Sometimes if he got the sack, it would almost be like a sense of relief. Like mm. you can almost take a little bit of time off, and I, I do think Steve Bruce will be looking forward to sitting on the beach in the Algarve where he's been in yeah, Portugal where he's, all, he's, 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 all, he's probably been there more than he's been at Newcastle's training ground by the sounds of it <laughs> well he said in the piece didn't he that he, he may not manage again I mean Dan you said before the start of this podcast well that's not really his choice is it no I think it suits his lifestyle choices better as well to be honest like if it wasn't the, the end for Steve Bruce before the new owners came in or even last season the Spurs game absolutely was I mean the atmosphere before the game Dan, you were there, mate. Incredible, wasn't it? It was. Oh, it was fantastic. First sense of like euphoria around St James's Park. We went one nil up inside two minutes with Callum Wilson scoring, and it was like, how many could we get here? And then all of a sudden, it just we just were awful. Three one down by half time. But I think the, the the great news from that match was that the the man who had a cardiac arrest um, found he was, was at the game. Uh, it was recovering well in hospital, so we send him all of our best wishes. But back onto the game. Dan, try and just describe that like opening 45 minutes from Wilson making a 1-0 to be 3-1 down at half-time. Jot is, the, the noise around the ground before the game and after Wilson went put us 1-0 up was just incredible. Like It was mm-hmm. right up there, maybe even the best I've witnessed at St James's Park. It's the best going, easily. been going a few, quite a few years now. And at, there was a real sense, well, I thought anyway, deludedly anyway, it was like went 1-0 up. It's like you're saying... Bloody, we're, we're mint like yeah. we could we could and it was like everyone's so up for this and I, you think the fans will have more of an impact than they maybe did and in the end we just ended up sitting back and sitting back and I mean the goal that they equalised with Ndombele how do you leave him with so much time and space to just pick a spot and and from there on in it was just poor it was just everything we've seen for the last for this season definitely I think the defence has been noticeably worse this season and getting worse every week, and that was certainly evident today. The the line, defensive lines all over the place to allow Kane to bit the offside shot to make a 2-1, really poor. The third one, I mean, it's a great move from Tottenham, but it, all, it just looks all too easy. And going in at half-time thinking, we've got a long, long way to go. We've got... We're, we're miles away from Spurs who were having a very average season and don't look all that we're absolutely miles away I mean, Charlie what did you think when we were 3-1 down with 20 minutes to go and he's well, uh, Callum Wilson and leaving us with no striker up front it says it all really I mean Callum Wilson his ears were one solitary goal threat 
in in Bruce's defence, I mean, but yellow sound like a Bruce sympathiser on this podcast. I'm, I could be fair off <laughs> of the truth, but in, like you know, Callum Wilson, we know he's made of uh, he's made of glasses, and he. So I wonder if it was just a precautionary injury concern, perhaps. But um, you know, <laughs> I'd probably rather have Callum Wilson with one leg than Joe. Who, who was it that came on from? Was it Jolent? Was it? Was it Jolent? Was it Fraser? It might have been Fraser. Well, he's the same. He's made of glass, and I'll probably rather have a one-legged Callum Wilson on the pitch than a Fraser. But we're just lacking options from the bench. You know, we haven't really got anyone. We haven't got anyone of quality to come on for Wilson or say Maxman when maybe they're not having the best game. But hopefully January can uh, can put that to bed. I mean, you would expect to spend big in January. And, you know, Will Wilson, we might be talking as Wilson as a second or a third choice by the end of the January transfer window. Well, we just get these crazy transfer links every day, but one thing that's definitely going to be over the line, maybe even tomorrow, is, is a new manager. Graham Jones is in charge for Saturday's game away at Palace. That's already been confirmed, but there's been three leading contenders for the role. Paolo Fonseca, who I believe to think is the favourite, Lucien Favre, and, of course, Eddie Howe. Dan, out of them three, if you've you know looked at the philosophies and the tactics of these three managers, which one would you want the most to, to lead Newcastle into this new era? Well, first of all, I think they're all fairly big upgrades. I would personally stay away from Eddie Howe. There's, his last season in the division obviously got relegated and he's been out of the game for, for a while now. I've, I've, had, I've been doing a little limited research, I'll say, on Paolo Fonseca and I think his style is the complete polar opposite to Steve Bruce, and yeah. that excite that excites me to be honest. Even Reddy's very active on the training ground. Again, completely opposite to Steve Bruce, who has them in like two days a week if they're lucky. <laughs> You've got Lucien Favre, who's got his record at uh, Gladbach speaks for itself. I don't think he did quite so well when he was at Dortmund, but again, he would be he would be exciting. And yeah, I think. You talk about the Palace game, they're not going to be in the dugout. But even if they've made an appointment and say they're in the stands, whoever it is, I think mentally that could have a huge impact on the yeah, players and the performance. Yeah. You, see it, you see it quite often when a team appoints a, a new manager, they're in the stands or they're watching on or whatever. I think it subconsciously will raise them an extra 10% or so. So I think to do it quickly would be would be massive, in my opinion. Charlie, same question to you, mate. Um, well, I, I do think whoever comes in, I think they are going to get a manager bounce. Um, Graham Jones is obviously going to take charge of the game this weekend. I think I know he he's got his own sort of contract with NUSA. Obviously, with his own he's only been there, you know, just like just under a year. I, I think he's probably going to be a dead man walking. To be honest, I think he's likely going to go as soon as the new manager gets his foot in, gets his foot in properly. It was interesting, Dan. You mentioned Eddie Howe, not not like in his last season at Bournemouth, where I sort of looked mm-hmm. at the, the bigger picture. The bigger picture where Eddie Howe, like he did, yeah. build a club, build a club more or less from nothing, and sort of took them through the divisions. Now, if you had asked us twenty four hours ago, who would you take? Um, I would have happily took Eddie Howe on a sort of eighteen month deal to stabilise the club. But now we're talking about Paolo Fonseca. He's flirting with the idea, and I can't help but be turned on by him. You know what I mean? I, I did a little bit. I did. I, I know of him, but I would be lying if I said I knew a great deal about him. But just looking at his Roma side, you know, they, they do like he, he does like to play on the front foot, and I do think he ticks a lot of boxes for the new owners. You know, he's got that sexy name. He likes to play attacking football, and he's somebody that could be here for maybe three to four to five years and and, and build a project. My only concern, I don't know whether you guys 
uh, with me on this with, with Fonseca is that the defence is a shambles at the minute, conceding more goals than any other side. Do we need an attacking manager at this point, or do we need someone like a Lucien Favre who is very much defensive-minded, a bit like Rafa really, where he'd sort defence out, make us hard to beat, and we'd grind games out, albeit the football ain't as attractive as you know we would have under Fonseca. I, I hope you're not... Um... On about getting big salmon, how are you? Were you, 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 you weren't, you weren't alluding to you weren't. <laughs> well, that was what Steve Bruce was meant to do, wasn't he? Steve Bruce, you know, he's won three Premier League uh, titles of Man United. He was a, you know, a real warrior of a centre half. His teams have always traditionally been defensively sound, and we've even capitulated under him. I think did we have the seventh best defence in the league under Rafa Benitez, and now we're letting go. Eighth was it, and, and and now we're leaking goals left, right, and centre. I think it's more of a player problem. I think obviously players could be cautious certain way, but you know we've got we're playing Matt Ritchie left back and a flat back four. You know we've mm-hmm. I've seen me Nana run quicker than the centre halves. You know what I mean? We've, we've just <laughs> we're just lacking a real we're lacking real quality at the back. I think I think that'll be the area where the consortium look to invest in the forget the superstar striker because I think we'll. We've got St. Max, we've got Wilson. Yes, we may get someone big and up top, but I think the defence must be the priority in the window. I actually disagree about the defence being the priority. It is definitely a priority, but for me, the midfield is more important because there's just no balance there, and I think that is a huge reason why we concede goals. We've just invite far too much pressure because the gap between the midfield and the defence is huge, and it, it we get exposed time and time again. So for me... A, a, a proper box-to-box midfielder that is going to do both is would be the priority for me. But yeah, we do need new defenders. But these are defenders that have been decent for Newcastle United, but they've just regressed massively over the last two years. And that is worrying in itself. Is it not an agent mm-hmm. issue, though? Because, I mean, the club have not signed a permanent defender for three years. You know, they're not going to be the players they were three or four years ago. But like you said, with the midfield, like who? what are midfield options at the minute? Joel Willock, more of an attacking midfielder. Sean Longstaff, more of an attacking midfielder. John Joe Shelby and Jeff Hendrick. Don't really mean to say it anymore. And, and and Isaac Hayden and, and and Matty Longstaff, who's out on loan. It's it's a it's a pretty poor midfield selection. Yeah, if and, we're honest, there's only one lad who's good enough in there, and that's Joe Willock. And he's and like you say, he wants to be pushing on more. He doesn't necessarily want to be doing the the defensive stuff. So that's why for me, we've got one midfield that's good enough. That's just that's the area for me me where it's you can immediately improve it and it changes the whole dynamic of the team you defend better you attack better i think it's so so important do you think they spend more than 50 million in the window charlie because that's like the number that's been talked about hasn't it yeah i think that might be luke edwards on the wind up to be honest uh, harry i mean <laughs> for the there was a piece i think it might have been by the athletic i'm not sure but it was saying that um because mike ashley's been so frugal over the past three years, like new with 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 his wallet, Newcastle can spend a hundred and like if they wanted to. I'm not saying they're going to, but they can't spend up to hundred and ninety million, uh, without denting their financial fair play at, like at all. Mm-hmm. So I I do think that it's I think fifty million. I think that might have just been Luke Edwards looking for a bite to be honest. I do think we're probably yeah. It just doesn't stretch very far in the Premier League, especially if we're going to be in a relegation fight. I think most of the business will be done next summer. 
regardless of what division we're in. I think January might be the, the case of you know a patch-up job. I think you might see the likes of Tarkowski coming in. You might see Lingard coming in. You might see one big name. The thing is, even but I think players it, would improve us massively. Though. Massively. I mean, massively. You were naming... Uh, you were rattling off players like Jeff Hendrick before. I mean, oh, uh, Sean Longstaff. Sean Longstaff, Jeff Hendrick, John Joe Shelby. Like, half... No, not even half as good as Lingard. And... It, you said you said it was an agent thing. That that's because we're literally been underinvested for years. You look at what def- look at how many players we've got that are still kicking about from like the Rafa, the early Rafa era or the Championship era. You know that the likes of Clark, yeah, the, the, most of the squad, the likes of Clark, um, Mankio's been around for years. Yes, he's probably our best right back, but what does that say about Emil Kraft? You know what I mean? I think if we get three or four solid players in January. It may give her enough to stay up. And a new manager, of course. I mean, one thing that could dictate the spending, not just in January, but in the future, is the Premier League's new um, shiny sponsorship rule that's just been announced. It's, it's a temporary measure for a month. And it's essentially around stopping owner-funded sponsorship deals for Premier League clubs. So immediately you're probably thinking, well, hang on a minute. Manchester City are sponsored by Etihad Airways and have like massive Abu Dhabi sponsorships all around their like Etihad City campus. You've got Leicester City who have the King Power Stadium. But don't worry, if you've already got a sponsorship, you don't have to get rid of it. It's just from now on. So, lads, let's be real here. This is just to stop Newcastle, isn't it? It's absolutely pathetic. It really is pathetic. Like, come on. It's just it's just so obviously anti-competition, it's unbelievable. I think the the lawyers of Newcastle, who've just obviously managed to get this takeover done one way or the other, will have an absolute field day with this. I can't see this staying, to be honest. No chance. I mean, they've given themselves a month, yeah. haven't they, to, like, work out what they're going to do. But, Charlie, do you just see it the same as me? It's just a desperate attempt now from these rival clubs. And with Newcastle, is it's not like the rival clubs are just the relegation sides or just the big six or just the mid-table clubs. It's everyone, because we're at the bottom, aspiring to be at the top. At the minute, they've all got a vested interest in Newcastle. So they couldn't stop the takeover. Now they're trying to stop us from putting money in our football club. It's just absolutely hilarious, I think, Harry. They're just, they're just trying every trick in the book on. I'm just waiting for them, all of um, 19 Premier League clubs, apart from Man City, who will probably abstain. <laughs> all the other Premier League clubs to say we can't have uh, the Sir Bobby Robson statue outside the ground or to say that we can't play at St James's Park anymore. It's just uh, it's, it's getting beyond laughable, really. I mean... If you look into it deep enough, there's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of dodgy dealings going on. I'm sure Leicester, I'm sure Leicester's owners have got some sort of sponsorship deals at their club somewhere. I mean, obviously, Man City's as well documented. I just, I just got to laugh because I know they're trying every trick in the book. It's almost like you've got Daniel Levy and the Glazers, etc. But almost like a, a little child in a pram, and they've they've, <laughs> yeah. they've chucked they've chucked the toys out and they're crying. But they're just not getting any attention, you know. I just think they're trying to put another obstacle in, in a road that we inevitably are going to go down eventually. So, it's just bitter. It's just bitterness. I think. I mean, I remember last week. I don't know whether you guys. I mean, there's so much happened in the last like week since this has all happened, and there was talk about was it Levy was was kicking off with the Premier League about this takeover happening and said that he wanted a ban on this owner-funded sponsorship, and he's told that that was a futile action. In other words, even the Premier League have turned around and said, well, you can't really do that. All of a sudden, they've put this rule through on a temporary measure for a month. 
which personally I don't see how you can do that unless you're going to tell every single club in the league who has an owner-funded sponsorship that they have to hand it back in. That would be fair enough, but I don't think Man City or Leicester or, let's be real here, half of the clubs in the league would agree to, because let's be real here, the only reason a lot of these owners are in the league is to promote their own brands on the club shirts, just like Ashley's done with Sports Direct for the last yeah. 14 years. The man's got free advertising in the ground and still has it till the end of the season, I think it is, or is it, maybe, is it January, or, have they said, when the Sports Direct signs are going? No one cared about Sports Direct being up around the ground, so I don't yeah. see why they should care about <laughs> Saudi Airlines or whatever whatever it'll be. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, uh Harry, I, d- I didn't, I didn't, oh, sorry Dan, I didn't actually realise, I didn't actually think of it of that angle, that we had literally changed the name of our stadium to the Sports Direct Arena and had it plastered everywhere. We're, the club was making name money off it, you know what I mean? It was just Mike Ashley. So we had that for years, even like on the back, on the front of the chairs, on the manager's dugout, Sports Direct, everywhere. It was ev- everywhere. In the tunnel, I'm sure at one point, instead of it saying Hawaii the Lads, it had Sports Direct there, didn't it? So, I mean, <laughs> nobody... Daniel Levy wasn't spitting his dummy out when that was the case, was he? And I think Daniel, on, on the subject of Daniel Levy, I mean, has he not the biggest hypocrite going? I mean, was he not trying to uh, flatter his eyelids, at, eyelashes at the uh, at the Saudis as well once upon a time? <laughs> they knocked him back and he just can't take it. At the end of the day, I see why they're doing this from a business perspective. You know, the I'll call them the better four. Liverpool, Tottenham, <laughs> Manchester United and Arsenal. I see why they're doing it because, look, they haven't got golf-backed funds. They don't have an unlimited bottomless pit of money. They tried with the European Super League to try and, you know, stop competition. They tried with Project Big Picture to pull, essentially was a power grab. And now they're getting desperate. And it'll not be long. Give it yeah. a couple of years until they invite Newcastle round the table and ask them to join them. It'll, it'll not yeah. be long. Well, Harry, I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned them clubs there. I think the ones that will really, really be wanting Newcastle to sort of stay in the lane, sort of say, will be Arsenal and Spurs. I mean, before Mike Ashley bought the club, we were the Spurs. We were the, the team that was sort of challenging but not winning anything. So if anybody's going to drop out of that top bracket, it's going to be them. I mean, we could talk about this to a black and blue, really, but there is a football game going on at the weekend and Newcastle are away at Crystal Palace. Uh, we kind of touched on it before, but do you think that Bruce not being there could improve the performance? Because, I mean, it can only get better off the Spurs, and I wouldn't say Palace are as good as Tottenham, albeit they have beaten 3-0 this season, but they're going to have to be on the game, and I think we'll finally see as well with Graham Jones is how much of an influence was he having on the team while Bruce was in charge? Because no one really knows, do they? No, and I think everyone's go-to thing when we won was to, to, to give Graham Jones the credit yeah. and sort of exclude Steve Bruce from any of that so yeah it will be interesting I think I'll be, be interested to see how he lines up you know what what sort of ideas have been his what sort of ideas have been Steve Bruce's etc and yeah I think it'll it, it's got to be better than Spurs I mean it, it even the fact that he's gone will make it a better atmosphere like in the away end and amongst the players and I think we might not win but we might be, we might be awful. It might be Jones's fault as well that we have been awful this season. But as far as I'm concerned, it, it can only be positive that Bruce isn't there, and I think it does significantly improve our chances of getting the result that we need. Charlie, do you agree on that one? Yeah, totally. I I, I couldn't disagree with the word Dan said there. I mean, the chances do greatly improve with with Bruce not in the dugout. I spoke before about the manager bounce. I mean, every manager tends to have a some sort of bounce. If you had said this, if you had said Steve Bruce was in the dugout, I mean, I watched, 
the highlights of Arsenal and Crystal Palace the other day. And Palace Vieira, surprisingly, I mean, I didn't think he was going to, but he seems to have got Palace playing some decent stuff. So I wouldn't have given him much of a chance there. I, I went to Wolves the last away game and it was just dire. Just no one could be bothered at all. You know, even the away end, it's the flattest away end I've ever known mm-hmm. it to be. And um, I, I think that away end will be rocking now. I think, you know, the, the supporters are going to have a little bit of a boost, especially you never know that the, something might happen before that game. It's a long, what, what day one now? Wednesday. There's still a, another, there's still a bit of time for a manager to get appointed. Obviously, Graham Jones will take the game, but. It's just another thing that could give her a boost. And the scoreline could be anything. I mean, it could be 3-0 Palace, it could be 1-0 Newcastle, it could be a draw. It's just one of them where you've just got to sit back and hopefully enjoy it. I mean, out of everything I've read over the last couple of weeks about PIF, and it seems that the main reason the trigger wasn't pulled on Bruce before the Spurs game was that PIF didn't really understand why you would sack the manager if he didn't have a replacement already in place. So I think we must be quite far down the line in terms of getting a new manager in and the, and the talks of Fonseca, especially today, have really, really heightened. And I, I would lean towards us having a new manager appointed and confirmed before Saturday and just kind of in the stands. Look, they're not going to give them the, the game, whoever the new manager is going to be, they're not going to give them the game on Saturday because it just disrupts preparation. Jones has had them in well, probably for like a day or you know however long they've been in training for this week uh, to get them get them ready for this game but obviously we've touched on Jones and whether there's going to be much of a change are we expecting a change in formation because I know Jones likes the, the split strikers we've seen that against Everton I think the first game he, he came in he, he was like a narrow 4-4-2 and he had the split strikers and ended up winning the game do you think we'll go back to something like that or do you think it's just going to be very much more of the same get through this match new manager comes in and ready for Chelsea I'm not sure I mean if, if there is a new manager in place and appointed by then Will he have any sort of say in the manager's ear saying this is the way I want to do go about it? I don't know. So it's a difficult one, really, because none of us really know how much Jeremy Jones has dictated the way we've been going about it this season. So it's it's a question that's impossible to answer until Saturday, I think. Just touching on what you said about the Everton game, Harry. I mean, it was evident on that from day one when Graham Jones came in that he shook things up a bit. You know, you had to play in a sort of different system. You had Miggy. Miggy Amron was sort of almost playing like a false name sort of role and Wilson was, was sort of pushed out to the right a bit, wasn't he? But it was working. And we've, we've changed, we changed it again to the back end of last season, didn't we? Where we're seeing the sort of wing-back system come back, into, come back and play and we had, we had Murphy. How much of that was Graham Jones' influence? I don't know. So, yeah, it is up in the air. Is he going to just completely, you know, shake things up again and change the formation? I'm not too sure. I'm not sure if he can, really, I think. The, the, the team sort of I don't know about you but it's with, with Wilson up front same Maxwell alongside him we haven't got much on the bench we spoke about before just the team almost picks itself doesn't it yeah I, I would agree before we finish off and end this podcast we're going to do our general predictions for the game Charlie as you are the guest go to you first what's your scores for Saturday oh, I'm predicting madness that's what I'm <laughs> predicting I'm, I'm, predict- I'm predicting madness I am um, I'm going to be positive I feel I'm going to be positive and say that we're not going to lose the game at the weekend. <laughs> so we're not getting the score, just getting we're not going to lose. I, I, I'm liking Wilson this season. The thing is, our problem, uh, it's just been at the back. We've conceded more goals than anybody else this season. We haven't, creating chances hasn't really been a problem Been a problem for us. We've got Wilson back as well, so, you know, I would fancy with the score. I would fancy with the score a goal. It's just... Uh, how we're gonna how we're gonna keep them out of the other end. A score draw, Harry. There you go. A score draw. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go one better. I think we're gonna win the game two one. And I've predi- I don't know how many games I've predicted us to win this season and with a no luck. Could this finally could be the one? I think I'll predict us to win every game this season, so I'm gonna just <laughs> I'm gonna say we're gonna lose. I think we'll get the 2-0, Conor Gallagher, Edward the score. But hopefully you two are right and I'm wrong. But fantastic to have you on, Charlie. As always, good to have you on as well, Dan. But this has been Time Warp, brought to you by Vavil UK. Make sure you do check out our website for our comprehensive coverage of the most hated and the richest club in world football, Newcastle United, as well as our coverage of the Champions League, the Europa League, you name it. From us three lads, thank you very much for listening and we will catch you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.